want to add his blessing to that. We are grateful you're here today. The Always God, week five, Silver Storing. Uh, we're going to be looking at Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6 in a moment. So you might find that, Jeremiah 18, 1 through 6. You'll also see it on the screen behind me later uh, when that time comes. God is in the business of restoring things. Restoration business is what he's in. And there's no project too big, too broken, or too far gone for him to tackle. Will you pray with me? Father, give us the courage to believe that you can restore anything. That you can take all that is out of place and make it beautiful and make it useful again. We pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. This is the final week of the Always God series. I hope you've enjoyed the opportunity to go through that and think about these thoughts of who God is, the Always God. I think it's been fun exploring the attributes of God and how he's moved and how he's interacted with us throughout history and through the word as he talks to us. You see the people who he's dealt with in the past and how they've learned. You see how he's still moving in the way that he has always moved. You and I can experience God that way. He still moves today. He is the eternal, self-existent, all-powerful God that has not changed over time. He is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is still the great I am. And today I want us to look at the idea of him still restoring. Still restoring. I don't know if, if you ever watch it or not. and You may be familiar with the HGTV show, The Fixer Upper. We like the show. We, we think it's pretty neat. At, at the height, some 5 million people watched that show each week. And they would turn into, it was the highest rated show on cable television, only behind AMC's Walking Dead. <laughs> so if you know that show, then you'll understand. People love Chip and Joanna Gaines. They love the show. They, they blossomed into a gigantic business there in Texas. It's a destination for many people. Teresa and I have stopped and shopped in her shop and looked at the place, ate in the restaurant, had cinnamon rolls and buns. And it's really fun to, to go down there and see all that they've accomplished. And the premise, if you don't know, behind the show is pretty simple. Somebody buys a house, a couple buys a house, and they bring it to Chip and Joanna, and, and they renovate it. Chip comes in, and he does all the, the construction, and Joanna leads the design for the show. And in the last segment, there's this great reveal. It's awesome to, to look on the buyer's faces as they initially lay eyes on this rehabbed home and remember what it was like and what it is now. I thought a lot about that show this week when I was reading this passage of Scripture, talking about the subject that we're addressing today. Just because as Chip and Joanna repair homes and broken and restore them, they're outdated, they're dilapidated, they, they show us a great picture. And it's a beautiful illustration of what God does in our lives. He takes broken and marred as we will read in our text, spoiled clay, and he fashions it, he forms it, he molds it into something special. Will you stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word? The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, arise and go down to the potter's house. And there I will let you hear my word. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working on his wheel. And the vessel he was making clay was spoiled in the potter's hand. And he reworked it into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to do. 
Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord. Behold, like the clay in the potter's hands, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thank you. You may be seated. In this passage, we see that that God is getting Jeremiah's attention. He wants to teach him a, a valuable lesson about how he works in his people's lives, with his people's lives. It is his to do as he wants to, just like the object lesson of the potter in the clay. I don't know if you remember a number of years ago, Frank Homer Pottery in Sepulpa. Uh, we would go there and see, uh, I don't know if you know that the family used to do the images of the potter in the clay. They did it there for a while, and, and even for a while they had a traveling thing where they would come. The daughter did it for a long time, and, and now I'm, I don't know if they still do, but it was really something to see as they told the story, and you actually had people who made items out of clay and fired them and, and knew what that meant. Now I think the message for us in this object lesson communicates something pretty simple. The potter has power over the clay. Say that again. The potter has power over the clay. He works it, he forms it, he molds it, and he takes it to whatever shape and whatever form he chooses. The clay, in order to conform to the potter's design, must be worked and sometimes reworked until it arrives at the destination. That lump of clay must be smoothed out where it is spoiled and marred, it must be remade. It's an incredible picture, I think, of how God is at work in your life and my life. This morning, I want to take just three simple points and think about this passage of Scripture from Jeremiah. Point number one, the first point is, we are all broken. We are all broken I'm, of course, using the word broken as a synonym for what is found in verse 4, spoiled. That's really what it means. If you've ever seen the process of of a potter's wheel and how it spins around and how people take their hands and form and push and and get it into the position of the thing that it wants. But occasionally, uh, the clay is not exactly right. There may be a lump in the wrong place. It may not be as smooth it's supposed to be. There may be a chunk in it. And the spinning shows that. It's not in balance. And it comes out of balance. Even in the hands of the potter, it pushes against it and it gets out of shape. It has to be put back together, reformed, and the process has to start over again. Jeremiah uses that same word in chapter 13 to describe... Uh, a belt he was commanded by God to bury and later dig up. After the, he dug up the belt, he described it in verse 7 as being ruined or spoiled. And that meant that it was good for nothing. It was good for nothing. NIV, if you know, the passage says useless. It is useless. It was broken. Not to be used by anyone. Is there anything worse than something breaking and not fulfilling a purpose for which it was created? Maybe you've gone to a restaurant sometime and you begin some of that imitation silverware. <laughs> you know, and, and you get ready to cut the steak and, and it, it bends. <laughs> We've all been there. And sometimes you're working so hard it snaps in your hand. You can't do anything with that. It's useless. 
Well, we're all broken spiritually. This is what sin does in our life. It corrupts us. It spoils us. It mars us. And it breaks the relationship between God and humanity. Look at Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Translation using Jeremiah's terms. For all are spoiled. All are marred. All are useless. All are good for nothing because of sin. And the, the only solution is for that spoiled, broken clay to be reformed, refashioned, and remade as a picture of salvation in the potter's hands. The only solution to sin, to brokenness, is the gospel. Is the gospel of God to remake and reform and refashion. And as we saw earlier each week, 2 Corinthians 5 says, a new creation. Every week we saw that verse. And we sum it up here today with the idea that God remakes and remolds us into something new. I want us to reflect on that for a minute. Here Jeremiah is, is a prophet. And the message he proclaimed for 40 years was one of judgment, that God was going to judge his people of Judah. He predicted Jerusalem would fall to the Babylonians and God's chosen people would be carried off into exile. If you know anything about Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. Because the reality of what he prophesied broke his heart. He knew what was coming and there was nothing he could do about it except tell people it was coming. God gives him to remind the people and tell the people that there was a covenant relationship that had been broken and it needed to be remade. Jeremiah 18.6 says this, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter has done? declares the Lord. Behold, like clay in the potter's hand, so are you in mine, O house of Israel. I highlight this just to make the point that we have been remade by God and that you and I, as Christians, have entered into a new relationship. It doesn't mean we've arrived. You know, we're not in heaven yet. It's not completed, but we are in the process. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Salvation is when God's shaping work starts in our lives, not when it stops. It's when it starts. And like the people of Judah, over time, even those of us in a relationship with God can see something. We can step outside of his will, can't we? We can choose to live in sin and disobedience, can we not? We can make decisions that cause lumps to form in the clay of our life. And we become marred, useless. It's at that point we learn the same valuable lesson. We have to be remade, reworked. But the good news is you can still be restored. It's not over. Because you make a mistake, because you step out of line, because you have been marred does not mean it's the end of you and your relationship with God. You can be remade by the potter. You can be made new. And I think it brings us to the second point, which is this. Only God can restore the broken. Only God can restore the broken. Only the potter has the power over the clay. Only he has the power to rework, remake, and restore. Rework, remake, and restore you. It should bring us great hope. I I know I've spoken to a number of people who are Christians. 
and they have trusted in Jesus. They have forgiveness of their sins, but they have gotten away from God, and they know it. Sometimes they come to me and say, what can I do? I I think we need to recognize that sin can lead to hard-heartedness. Hebrews talks about it in 3, 17 and 13. A hardening by deceitfulness of sin. Sin deceives us in thinking we can do what we want and it's okay. And God says, no, you have marred yourself. And the harder clay gets, the less moldable it becomes. You remember in the Old Testament, Pharaoh hardened his heart to the place that he could not, would not turn to God. And he was broken permanently. I like to think of the illustration of Plato. How many played with Plato, Plato growing up? I mean, it's great. You know, we, I bought it for years for grandkids and kids. Uh, and, and it's like, you know, it's soft, it's pliable, it's workable. Open that and the first smell of fresh Plato is fun and it's squishy. And it's just something about humanity that we like working with our hands. But you can leave it out, can't you? You can forget to put the lid on. And when you do, it gets hard. It gets brittle. It's not nearly as easy to work with. It's broken. It's not able to carry out its intended purpose and fill a form again. What's true of Plato is true of our lives. If we don't keep our hearts soft before God, if we don't take care of our personal relationship with Jesus through abiding in him, being connected to him, John 15, 5, he's the vine, we're the branches, It's by his connection to us that we stay pliable. If we choose not to listen to him, if we don't embrace embrace the, the word of God in our life, it tends to harden our lives, become cold, become brittle. We lose our faith in what God can do in our lives. Often when the heart becomes hardest, God has to break us in order to reveal just how he best can use us. I don't, if you've ever seen uh, pottery and, and clay, it can be crushed. Water can be added and it can be remolded and used again. But it must be broken. Crushed to remold it. Some of you are here today because of the sin of deceitfulness. You would say, I feel like that. I feel dry. I feel hard. I don't feel the relationship like I did at one time. And it's led to you to being in a place that you feel, I'm afraid, I'm grieving, I'm depressed, I'm discouraged. And today, maybe, maybe due to that sin that has hardened your heart, your situation, your circumstance, it it has gotten you to overwhelming and, and it's like you're screaming, help, I'm broken to God. Maybe a relationship has ended between you and someone else. Someone you love is dying or an injury and illness is holding you back. Maybe you've recently been let go in work or in some other way with people. Listen to me, you don't have to keep running from God. You you don't have to lose hope. You are in the right place because you are in the potter's house. And the potter can fix what is marred. He can restore that which is broken, that is useless. And he does it in a way that he makes something beautiful, something new, something that hasn't been before. It doesn't matter what you've done or or how you failed. It doesn't matter. The thief on the cross was told he would be with Jesus that day, right? 
He couldn't do anything for Jesus on the cross except accept the grace of God. You can do the same. It matters not what you do for him. It's what he does for you. He restores you. He fixes you. He puts you in a right relationship with him. I look through the New Testament and I see Jesus restoring people. I think of the woman caught in adultery. Do you remember the story? You know, she's caught, she's drugged before. We always say, where's the guy? They bring the woman, but there's no guy standing ready to be stoned. Does Jesus judge her? He picks up a stone. And he says, anybody here sinless? Drops it. Because nobody was. It says in the scripture that he was riding in the dirt. Some people think that what Jesus was doing was riding the sins of the people. How would you like to have been a thief? And Jesus looks at you and he writes thief in the dirt. Or he looks at someone else and he writes adulterer. He looks at someone else and he writes prideful. And all the things that they had done, he wrote in the dirt. And then he holds the rock. Is anybody sinless? He doesn't judge her. In John 8, 10 through 11, Jesus stood up and said, Woman, why, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. It's one thing to recognize sin. It's another to condemn like they wanted to do to destroy her life. Jesus restored her, didn't he? He put her back into a right relationship. He restored her in that moment. No matter what you have done or how broken you are or how messed up you feel, God can restore you into a place that's perfect. I don't know if you've ever made a mistake before. I know I have. Maybe you made a gigantic mistake. You you thought something was what it was and you you just were certain it was and you you spoke like it was and all of a sudden the light went off and you realized you were wrong. The embarrassment you feel in that moment. We all have been there. I think of Peter, so broken. The Bible says he went out and wept bitterly because he, like that, said, I'll never, I'll never, I'll, I'll never, and then he did. And the light went off and he was embarrassed and he was shameful When Peter first saw Jesus, I bet there were some reactions that reminded Peter of the elephant in the room, I denied you. And yet it all goes unaddressed. Nothing said. Disciples make their way back to Galilee, and you remember what happens. Enough of this, Peter says, I'm going to go fishing. He goes along with his others, and he drags them along with him. It's interesting how people who are broken can drag other people along with them, can't they? Because they just want to be miserable with other people, I guess. The Bible says they catch nothing. Again, imagine the feeling of failure of their part. They're professional fishermen. They ought to be able to find some fish, but they found nothing. They failed. And I think that stung Peter even deeper. Then all of a sudden the day is breaking and a man stands on the shore and asks them if they've caught anything. It was here that Peter asked Jesus and Jesus asked Peter those questions. Do you love me? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. Jesus, do you love me? Lord, you know I love you like a brother. And Jesus said, do you even love me like a brother? 
Before Jesus said, do you love me, agape, a self-sacrificial love? I love you like a brother. Self-sacrificial love? I love you like a brother. Do you even love me like a brother? And it stung him. I'm reminded of the great quote by A.Z. or A.W. Tozer. It is doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. Whoa. Until he has broken him to the place that he is usable in the potter's hands to re, be remade, reformed, restored. It's called the blessing of brokenness. Listen, we're all broken, right? We only can be restored by God. Only God can restore the broken. And thirdly today, final point, God wants you to be restored. God wants to restore you. God wants to restore you. He wants to remake you. I truly hope that you're taking this message personally. God longs to remake, remold, restore you in the hands of the loving potter. Luke 19.10, the message says this, For the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost. The word for salvation, Greek, is sozo. It is translated as restoring and making whole. Restoring and making whole. Isaiah 61, 4 through 11, or 4 and 11. They will build the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. As the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes a seed to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness praise spring up before all nations. See the clear sense of restoration in that passage? It's a prophetic passage. Being delivered, being freed from the bondage, the slavery of sin. Jesus is placing himself in the context of God restoring all of you. If you'll allow yourself to be molded in the potter's hands. The potter has power over the clay and pity upon the clay. Ephesians 2 calls us his, what? Workmanship. We're his workmanship. We're, we're his craft. I don't know if you've heard the poem before, but I want to share with you this poem. I think it relates to our message today. It's called A Touch of the Master's Hands by Myra Brooks Welch. T'was battered and scarred, and the auctioneer thought it was scarcely worth his while to waste much time on the old violin. But he held it up with a smile. What is my bid, good folks? And cried, who'll start bidding for me? A dollar? Two? Then two? Only two? Two dollars? Who'll make it three? Three dollars once? Three dollars twice? Going for, but no, from the far back corner of the room, a gray-haired man came forward and picked up the bow. Then wiping the dust from the old violin... He tightened the loose strings and played a melody pure and sweet. The music ceased, and the auctioneer, with a voice that was quiet and low, said, What am I bid for the old violin? And he held it up with a bow. A thousand dollars? Two thousand? Who'll make it two? Two thousand? Who'll make it three? Three thousand once, three thousand twice. Going, going, gone, he said. The people cheered. Some of them cried. We don't quite understand what changed the worth. 
came the swift reply, the touch of the master's hand. And many a man of life out of tune and battered and scarred with sin is auctioned cheap to a thoughtless crowd much like the old violin. A mess of podge, a glass of wine, a game, and he travels on. He's going once, he's going twice, he's almost gone. But the master comes, and the foolish crowd can never quite understand the worth of a soul and the change that is wrought by the touch of the master's hand. The master, the potter. God can take your life as a simple lump of clay and form you and remake you into something for his glory. Going back to the fixer-upper, going, going back to Chip and, and, and Joanna Gaines, my favorite part's the end in the reveal. I love watching the faces of the people as they see their home, the investment that they've made in it for the first time, and the before and after pictures. The couple walks through each room and, room and they're just blown away. They, they can't, they remember what it looked like and now it's just a completely different place. In a very real way, this is how we should look at our life. God takes us and reworks us and he does so that we get excited by what he's doing and he's changing us. And we smile and say, the greatest fixer-upper in the world, he wants to restore you today. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we come to you. We ask you, Lord, to be with us in this moment of time. We present ourselves to you as lumps of clay to be fixed up, to be remade, remolded, reworked. We want to be your workmanship to bring you glory. And so we ask you, Jesus, take our sinful lives that have been marred and remake them. We confess our sin to you. We ask you to honestly help us and turn us into creations that are worthy of you. We pray in your holy name, amen. You, as lumps of clay, bring yourself to Jesus today and let him remold you. Shall we pray? Or sing, rather, what number? 544. 544, as we stand together. Thank you so much. Be seated. We'll be observing the Lord's Supper in a minute. I think we may have some in the cry room today, so we might check that. 
as we do, I'd ask you to bow your